Right, well, could you turn to Colossians 2? We've made it to verse 16, um, and we're going to read through to verse 23. Um, and I will just get cracking, if that's the right word should appear behind me. If you've got a phone, particularly this series, I think, if you've got a phone or something in front of you, we jump around quite a bit, that will be helpful for you. So don't just rely on the screen. Okay. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through, uh, through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I wonder if you've ever tried to listen to a phone conversation uh, from one side of the conversation. Obviously, you can hear one side of the phone conversation. Um, and try to work out what's going on from just that one side of the conversation. Now, I would imagine if you've ever tried this and you're lucky to have the, the more talkative member of the conversation <laughs> on the side you're listening to, um, you'll probably get a decent idea of what's going on. You'll probably work out roughly what the conversation's about at the very, at the very best. But... Um, at the very best, you're not really going to be able to get to the bottom of things. You're going to miss nuances. You're going to, you might get the what, but you might not get the why certain things are being said because conversations obviously have uh, two parts. Well, so far in Colossians, it's been like we've been doing that. We have essentially been listening in on one half of a conversation, but today we get a chance at least to eavesdrop a little bit into the other half of the conversation. For many people, uh, they would view the Bible as a kind of a dictation from God. God decided I want to communicate some things to people, so I'm just going to say, or you, say this. And uh, that's then we have the Bible. And, and that would be how other religious scriptures work, and that would be how other religions would, some of the religions would see their holy books. But it's very important for us as Christians to realize that is very far from what the Bible is. Uh, the, the Bible is full, is, is a library of books, and those books are written by specific people, often to other specific people, for specific human purposes. And in that way, the books of the Bible are very like any human writing, except, and it's an important except, uh, that with, with these books, God inspired the authors in such a way that, that they communicated well to the people they were actually talking to, but also can communicate eternal, unchanging truths to people throughout the ages and do that faithfully as well. And the book of Colossians is a, is a classic example of this. Because this book is a letter to some people. And it's not just a letter to some people. It's a letter in response to some problems that had been going on at the other end of the line. Okay, And essentially then... Um, even despite what I've introduced things as today, we do only get the letter. We only get this half of the conversation. But today, as you'll see, Paul starts to flesh out and even quote some of the things that have been saying on the other end of the line. And as we see that, 
I think it really helps us bring to life all that we've seen so far and understand a little more of the why Paul has said some of the things he said in the way he said and also helps to see how we can apply the teaching of, our Col- of Colossians to our lives today. Okay, So there's the general gist. So let's ask the question then. What was the other half of the conversation? We see Paul's letter. What's he replying to here? Well, very simply, Paul's and Epaphras's, who you've come across so far if you've been with us in the series, they, they, their voices were not the only voices speaking to the Colossian church at this time in about 50 AD. No, the reason for this letter was there were a load of other voices that were trying to subtly lead the Colossians away from what Paul and Epaphras had taught them. Now, I've got to understand this. These voices were not from outside of the Christian community, probably, okay? These were not the Richard Dawkinses of their age or even the Buddhas or the Mohammeds of their age. No, these were uh, people who would have, on the surface, showed a great commitment to Jesus, but the heart of what they were teaching was very different to true commitment to Jesus as Paul understood it, okay? Now, Paul's mentioned these false kind of teachers already uh, in the book. And uh, last time, I think it was Jonathan who preached the last one. Was it Jonathan last time? We've had, we had another week in between, didn't we? It was Terry and then Jonathan, yeah. Um, but um, in chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says this. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Okay, so you think, oh, no one, he might be speaking hypothetically if someone might come along and do that. Well, then a couple of verses later in verse 8, he says again, the mysterious no one uh, has another feature. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. And as we pick up today, you might have noticed in the passage, uh, the, the elusive no one gets a couple more mentions. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you, verse 16. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you. And you, you start to get the picture that this no one is not a hypothetical, someone might come along and say this. No, no, these are real people who are uh, de- passing judgment, disqualifying, looking to take captive, deluding. They're there, people who are there. And not just we see they are real people, but we see something of what they're saying as well. And from the passages we've looked at today, these false teachers had two things that it seemed they really focused on in, their, in, in what they were saying the Colossian church should be doing more of. And the two things were this. Firstly, a focus on man-made rules and regulations. If these guys had kind of had some literature and wanted a slogan, their slogan, which might not seem very appealing to us, but was kind of their, it was probably this a direct quote from them, was, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Colossian heresy, here we are, you know. That would be the banner of their website, so to speak. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. This is about rules, this is about regulations, this is about do nots. And uh, we even know what some of them were. Uh, Verse 16, it's about questions of food and drink. It's about what you should and shouldn't eat. Uh, Verse 16 continued, uh, with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. This is about how to observe special days. Also, the word gets a couple of mentions here. It's it's about asceticism. Such a lovely word, that. Just try try that with me, asceticism. Don't do that if you've got a list, though. It's not going to help you, okay? But it's it's one of those that trips off asceticism. I really like that. Um, Anyway, uh, what does it mean, though? It's another matter. Well, that doesn't matter. It just sounds nice, so let's move on. Um, No, asceticism is a kind of a focus on self, extreme self-discipline and self-control at the expense of kind of indulging in the desires of the flesh, okay? Uh, If we could put it like that. Uh, Another phrase that goes along with it is severity to the body, okay? Now, probably, at the very least, they're talking about fasting, going without food, probably links in with the food and drink. Uh, Even more, they may be talking about other forms of self-denial or even sort of self-harm, 
I, I don't know if you're uh, familiar in the kind of medieval times, particularly in certain parts of the church, there'd be people, if anyone's seen the Da Vinci Code, that film, like they bash themselves, like ksh, to kind of whip out the devil, or so I don't know what, what it was, okay? But you, people familiar with that kind of idea? Yeah, okay, some are. It could have been that. It might not have been, but it could have been. That's the kind of thing that's going on. But there are rules and there's strict sort of self, self-discipline emphasis. Okay, so that's on one side. But they're rather kind of, it seems a little of an odd marriage of ideas. On the other side, they have this emphasis on bizarre spiritual experiences. So the key words that jump out at us here is uh, something about the worship of angels is going on here. Okay, Uh, again, uh, just to make this probably less clear to you, but just to be honest to the text, most commentators think it's not necessarily these guys are worshipping angels, but even more confusingly, they're trying to get involved in the worship of God that is done by angels, okay? I'm just saying that because that's what most people think. It's like kind of sneak into heaven and the angels are worshipping. You go, hey, strap on some wings or something. I don't know. I'm an angel too. And they're worshipping as if they're they're kind of getting involved in the worship that angels do. Now, whatever it is, it's a bit weird. I mean, that's the (laughs) thing we've got to get to it. And uh, then also it says here about going in details about visions. They're really into visions. And we've seen this probably linking visions of heaven with angels and all that sort of stuff. Okay. So that is the other voices that are coming to them. That's the other side of the conversation. Um, And I think we could tie that a bit more together and we will in a minute. But just to make a, a quick statement, uh, because I think there's one question that instantly springs to mind as, as I look at this passage. And it's the first thing I thought of when I saw it is, wait a minute, actually though, while they're a bit weird here and there, there's nothing wrong in some ways with some moral rules and religious experience. Those things, what's Paul saying? Because some of this stuff looks quite similar to things that Paul thinks are actually quite a good idea. I mean, at different points in Paul's letters, Paul warns about doing all sorts of things. So he warns Christians we shouldn't get drunk, commit sexual immorality, attend feasts with idols. I mean, for Paul, clearly there were things that we shouldn't handle, touch, and taste. Okay, it's not, this passage is not saying, do what you want, we're free, hey. No, no, Paul clearly is not saying that. And actually, uh, Paul may himself, from some angles, seem to be a little bit of an ascetic, actually himself. So he fasted, Paul, as far as we can be aware. And uh, the way he talked at some times, you did, he, some of those kind of medieval stuff might well have based what they did on some stuff Paul said. 2 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, so, sorry. He says, I beat my body to basically make myself uh, ready to run the race for Jesus more. Now, probably he's talking metaphorically there, but you could see look, it's a similar sort of language he's using. So it doesn't seem that different on the kind of self-discipline side of things. A spiritual experience as well. Paul was pretty positive about extreme and often stuff to us that would seem quite bizarre spiritual experiences. So Paul's conversion came when he met the risen Jesus years after he died, uh, risen again and ascended to heaven. And if you're putting, yeah, conversion experience, that's, but that's that, isn't it? But then <laughs> in later on in his letters, he, he talks about, in 2 Corinthians 12, he talks in slightly cryptic fashion about an even odder spiritual experience where um, he's taken up to what he calls the third heaven, and he sees these experiences that are so wonderful and otherworldly, he's not even allowed to tell the people about them. It's just it's such a mean thing to put, isn't it? It's like, oh, I've seen all this stuff. Not allowed to tell you. Sorry. <laughs> it's, uh, but, but he does that essential thing in, uh, one, in 2 Corinthians 12. So if you could say, well, is this just a case of sour grapes for Paul then? He says, my rules and religious experiences are fine, but don't listen to theirs because they're not from me. No, 
that I'm sure you would have guessed that rhetorical question was going to be answered by me. Anyway, um, no, actually, that's not the case at all. Paul's problem is not with the rules or the experiences here on their own. His problem is what lies behind them, and he makes that incredibly clear in verse 19. Okay, verse 19, this is the problem. While these people are teaching these things, what they are doing at the same time is they are not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. They're not holding fast to the head. Paul's been at length in this book to tell us exactly who the head is. Any guesses? Jesus, yeah, it's Jesus. They're not holding fast to Jesus. Whatever these rules or experiences that were being taught in Colossae, they were not leading people towards Jesus. They were being taught as extra add-ons that you need to do as essential extras to following Jesus. It's, it's not Jesus alone. It's Jesus plus this and plus this. That's how to get ahead in your Christian lives. So, with that said then, I think it is helpful for us to sum up and give the best guess I can, because it is a guess really, on what the other end of the line was. What was this Colossian heresy? What were these false teachers fully saying? And uh, like I say, it is speculative, but I think we can get a picture at least that we can bounce off here. And the only other piece of the picture we need to throw in, and the more, the, the more curious of you will be glad I say this, others will be like, oh, this is, I just don't care about this bit, but I'm going to do it. I want to do justice to the passage, okay? One of the other thing, the other piece of the jigsaw is this little phrase, the elemental spirits of the world that you find. And just when I was reading this, you think, well, what is these phrases? Like, what's he on about? Because he just says, oh, yeah, okay, if you die to the elemental spirits of the world, of course, yeah, well, that's the case. What? Okay, now apparently that's very important. So this is what people think. They're not 100% sure, but most would agree with this, uh, who have big brains and write big books and all that sort of stuff, that the elemental spirits of the world are probably angels, Seen that link already, so that's pretty safe. But uh, angels, people seem to think at this time that there were angels who controlled bits of the world and spiritual parts of reality as well. And that to get on in life, you needed to placate them. So there would be uh, some angels that were in charge of stars and planets, but there'd be others that were in charge of bits of the spiritual realm and even that would guard access to God himself. Okay? Now, what Paul seems to be saying here, well, no, what these teachers seem to be saying then is, actually, the false teacher recommends to the Colossians that, yeah, it's fine, loving Jesus, follow him is good, but you also need to pay attention to these elemental spirits, to these angels, and you do that by following the rules, beat yourself, fast, whatever, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, and over here, let's have a little peep into heaven every now and again and see what they're really up to so we can work out the best way to keep them sweet. Okay? Now, there is some speculation there, but from the passage and from the big brains who write about the passage, that seems to be a start to give us a picture. Is that okay? You see, that's not, if you go back in the time machine, if any event that, go back, and that's not exactly what happened. I'm not saying God's got it wrong. Anyway, the chances of that happening are slim, I agree. But anyway, time machine, you think that's okay? Okay, we could talk about that. I just think it's unlikely if there's a time machine. Come on, guys, it's good. Come warming up here. We all right? Yes, good. I personally think any sermon with a time machine mentioned is better than one without. But anyway, uh, I will move swiftly on as you disagree with me, I can see. Okay, so um, that's what these false teachers are saying. Now, um, I think that gives us a picture of what's on the other end of the line. And even if the outline's not totally correct, we can be reasonably sure of this. This false teaching was based on the idea that the Colossian believers did not have all they needed in Jesus and needed to look elsewhere to really be satisfied. 
Now, I think then, this is again a summary, but in that light, we can summarize what Paul has said in this book so far, Colossians. Okay, if you've been with us in the series, obviously there's more to it than this, but therefore, with that information, this has been Paul's message so far. He's been saying to this group of believers, look, there are many voices you're hearing that are telling you that if you want to be happy, Jesus is important, but you need other things too. And if you want to be wise, Jesus is important, but you need other things too. And if you want to please God and be holy, Jesus is important, but you need other things too. And those voices probably sound really wise. And some of them might be people you like and people you respect, people in your family, your friends, people are standing in your communities, even people are standing within the church. But I want you to be clear of this. Those voices are wrong. If you want to be happy, if you want to be wise, if you want to be holy, all that you need is found in Jesus. That's Colossians, okay? Do you remember Rich Pitt a few weeks ago? His message it was the same one as at the North. was, you know, there's lots of things on the edge of Christianity that's important. What's it about? The mystery of God, which is Christ. It's Jesus. Jonathan, the other week, we've been circumcised in him. We've been buried in him. We've been baptized in him. We've been raised in him. I'm afraid you're not going to get a different message today because this is what Paul's doing the whole time. And the reason is, other people are saying, it's not just in him. And we've got to hear that today in our situation too. Because I would imagine, and it's a guess, you know, I've got a couple of guesses wrong so far today. Um, But I would guess if I did an appeal for, okay, so if you're worshipping angels at the moment, can you stand? Let's really pray for you. (laughs) I don't think we're going to get many. If it is is to say, look, uh, who's been beating themselves with whips at the weekend just to purge out some sin? Again, we're not going to probably have many people to pray for. However, the same point is being made very forcefully to us in different ways. And the answer is the same. It's not Jesus plus this and this and this. It's Jesus. I want to focus on those three areas I mentioned a minute ago. I search for happiness, wisdom, and holiness. By holiness, I mean living right, living well, and a good life to please God. That kind of thing. Okay? Um, because I, I, I'll show you in the passage where I got those ideas from. But I think in those three areas, we need to be very clear on where those voices are coming from and the things we can do, which do exactly the same as these teachers are doing. Okay, so let's start with um, happiness. Our search for happiness and fulfillment. How does the, do voices today lead us away from Jesus in that area? Now, I guess the question, can I be happy, is a reasonably universal human question, massive question. But for many, we'd realize, actually, we don't want to just have isolated experiences of happiness. We want them to be satisfied. We want contentment. We want something that lasts. We want fulfillment. We might use a word like that. And I'll tell you what, if you haven't noticed, the voices of our age have all sorts of ideas about how you get that. And they're very common. Okay? We would know these. There's no surprises here. How do you get happy? Well, obviously, human relationships is how you get happy. Do you have friends? Great, you've got friends. Well, you need more. You need more friends. You need deeper friendships. Okay, I've done that. Got it. Okay, you've got your friendships. Okay, well, you need more. You need a, a significant romantic friendship relationship or a string of those things constantly, all the time, to keep you happy. You've got those things? Well, you need more. You need kids. Those relationships are the ones that will make you happy. You want to be happy? Well, human relationships are vital. That's a very vital thing. What about possessions? You've got some stuff? Great. What you need is? More. You need more stuff. Got a good house? Great. Get a bigger house. Got a car? Get a better car. If you're renting, well, own. Possessions are important. Status is another thing that people talk about. Have you got a job? Fantastic. Get a more impressive job. 
Or at the very least, get a more impressive position in the place you work. Have you got influence? Well, you need more influence. More subscribers to your YouTube channel. More followers on Twitter, Instagram, your blog. More likes for your Facebook page. More leadership opportunities at church. What's the voices of today saying about how we get happiness? That's what they're saying. I'd imagine for you guys at that point, all that for is, it's a, yeah, we know, good. This is singing to the choir sort of stuff here, isn't it? Our eyes roll at this, yeah, yeah. And we could, we could repeat all the mantras here, can't we? Because money doesn't buy you happiness. You know, no one will say on their deathbeds, I wish I worked more. It's not other people's opinions of us that matters. We can say all that stuff. But you know what? It's not about whether we can repeat the mantras. It's about what our lives look like. Everyone can repeat those mantras. If you look on the internet, you can find them with lots of pictures of cats with that at the bottom. They're everywhere, okay? That doesn't mean that you're living that way. Let me ask you. This is a difficult question. Difficult because it's challenging, but also difficult to know the answer to, but there are ways. If someone was to open up your life and they were to look at your uh, bank balance and your outgoings and ingoings, they would look at how you spent your time, they would look at how long you worked at work each week, they would look at all of those things and combine them together, what would they conclude about how you're searching for happiness in your life? It's not a question probably you can answer right now. Some of you will be able to. Others will have to think about that. I'd recommend, actually, this is my recommendation, I'd find someone who's very close to you, whose opinion you can trust, and who's likely not to just spin a yarn to make you feel good. Ask them, what do you think? From what you know of my life, my priorities, how I spend my time, how I spend my money, where am I searching for happiness? Because it's not enough just to be able to say money doesn't buy happiness if actually you're trying to buy happiness with money. We should be searching for fulfillment and happiness. Those are good things. But actually... If we're searching for them in other places, we're doing just what these Colossian teachers are saying. If you have something where it's, if you ever find yourself saying this, and we all do this, this is where the warning sign comes. If you think, if only that happened, I'd be happy. Have you done that recently? If only that happened. If sometimes it just slips out or in our thoughts, take a big warning sign, hear that as an alarm, and say, right, wait a minute, I'm not basing my happiness in Jesus, am I? I've got another thing. We need to then deal with that. Because what would Paul say? Well, he'd say exactly what he said to the Colossians. Fulfillment depends on where you're getting filled. And there's only one who offers you fullness, and his name's Jesus. Colossians 2 verse 10. It's a verse that just kind of sneaks in. You kind of read through, you miss it. Jonathan preached it last time. But listen to this. You have been filled in Jesus. Filled to the top. Right to the top. That's what filled means. Well, yeah, we know that. Go back a bit. Just what, what, why is that important? Well, what he says before that in 2 verse 10 is he says, who's Jesus? Jesus is the one in the, the whom the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Can you see? The one who made you, who knows how you tick and everything, his fullness that he has planned for you, he pours it all into Jesus. Fill, halfway, three quarters, yeah, we're there. Bing, 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 to the top. Jesus got it. And then what Jesus does, he comes and he fills you. And just to your toes or your knees, you have been filled in Jesus. Do you know that? Do you know that fullness that he's talking of? All you need is Jesus. You feel a bit empty? You don't look around for all these things. No, you go back to Jesus for a top-up. Actually, just to be clear, from that point, basing our fulfillment in Jesus, we can enjoy all the good things that he's made as well. 
There's nothing wrong with that list of things. Possessions, relationships, even the ability we have to influence other people. There's actually nothing wrong with wanting those things either. It's not like, no, no, I don't want that, never. No, that's silly. Of course it's all right to want those things. There's nothing wrong with them on their own, just as there's nothing wrong with self-discipline or chasing after spiritual experience. The danger is not that we'd have those things or we'd want those things, but we'd have them or want them to make us complete. Because when those things, we do that, Those things don't work together with Jesus. They work against him. And as Paul says, we find ourselves cut off from the head. The one who said, actually follow me and I can give you life and life to the full. You see the message all the way through. Fullness comes from Jesus. You want to be fulfilled, go to him. Number two uh, is wisdom and knowledge. Imagine many Many of you guys here will be a happiness. You know, that's so trivial. I have a nobler pursuit. I'm after wisdom in my life. Wisdom and knowledge is where the West site's at. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Could be. But there'll be a number of us who might tick a little bit more like that. And uh, for any Colossians, guys in the Colossian church who were this way inclined, the false teachers were a special temptation for them. Because uh, Paul noticed this in verse 23. He said this, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, talking about these false teachers. They looked and sounded wise. They would have been the guys that everyone said, yeah, those guys, they know what it's all about. They'd have been the Stephen Fry's of their day. Everyone goes, oh, whoa, step back. They must know what they're talking about. But Paul's point is just the same. Just as happiness and fulfillment is found most fully in Jesus, exactly the same is true for wisdom, for knowledge, and for understanding. It's another just killer verse. <laughs> You're probably really glad I'm not in charge of these things. But like, I, I find it, we, we do like five verses in a row. I, I'm like, no, no, go back. Let's just do half a verse. If anyone's around at the beginning of Church Central, <laughs> we know we spent about seven years on Ephesians and that's what happens, okay? So, uh, but verses like this, just to brush over them, seems such a shame. Verse, chapter two, verse three. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Start with a fine wine. Swill that round a little bit, would you? Hmm. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's point is that for the Colossians to run after the wisdom of these teachers and base their thinking on their philosophies was to reject Jesus as the treasure trove of wisdom and knowledge. And he said the same to us today. But actually, I wonder if there'd be a few of you now who'd think, Good, tick, got this one done. Uh, let's move on to the third one uh, because I've, I'm, I'm in it on this one. But actually, there'd be some of us who do exactly the same thing by seemingly doing completely the opposite thing. Might sound a little bit cryptic, so I'll explain what I mean. I remember uh, when I was a teacher, I was a secondary school teacher, and uh, it was GCSE season, and a boy came to see me. I'd never met this boy before, uh, but he was just choosing his A-level options as he was doing his GCSEs, and he came to me to ask me about the philosophy course that we were doing, and he had a very specific question. He said, look, Mr. Meller, I'm, te- um, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, and uh, at my church, I told some people in my church that I wanted to do philosophy, but they have been very wary about it. They told me, no, you shouldn't do this. This will lead you away from Jesus. Um, and so I know you're a Christian, and I know you teach half the philosophy course, so can you give me some advice here? What, what should I do? And I imagine that's not an uncommon. I imagine you're like, oh, no way! That's not like one of those stories. I'm sure many of you would have maybe given such advice to people before. 
Maybe many of you have received such advice before in different, maybe academic disciplines, chasing after this, uh, this career in the arts. No, I want to go away from there. I, I imagine that might well be the case. It's quite funny, actually, because I wonder if this exact chapter of the Bible would have been the one they might have quoted to my friend <laughs> about this. But chapter 2, verse 8, is a nice little one, if you take it out of context. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. You've got it, haven't you? <laughs> so... Is this then how we should apply Paul's teaching? No, not at all. I'd argue, actually, that such a way of thinking can exhibit exactly the same problem as Paul is hitting with these teachers. I'll explain what I mean. If I is to show a deep and continual suspicion and fear of any thinking that's outside of the church, so kind of philosophy, secular theology, scientific study, the arts or other academic disciplines... That is probably not a statement about the all-sufficiency of Jesus in the realm of my intellectual life. Probably not. I mean, it could be, but it's probably not. What that probably betrays is a belief that the wisdom of Jesus is a little lacking, and we don't dare to look anywhere else because they're going to show Jesus up and we'll end up losing him. It's like Jesus is this small little thing here, and we really like him. Okay, it's really nice. It makes our lives kind of cozy and we really enjoy the stuff that goes along with him. But we want to protect him because, you know what? He doesn't really know as well as those scientists and those uh, philosophers and the, the ideas and the arts. He, he, doesn't, he can't compete with that stuff. So what we're going to do is we'll hide and we'll, we'll hide with our little Jesuses, desperately not wanting our bubble to be popped and our little Jesus to suddenly disappear because actually, no, he, we kind of got this inkling that he's probably not quite as clever as what, what we thought anyway. So often I think that can be our motivation. If you do that, you will look very different from the person who is going to church on Sunday, but is quite clearly chasing after wisdom outside the church. But ultimately you're doing the same thing. You're saying, I don't believe that in Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen, of course we shouldn't base our search for knowledge and wisdom uh, in things that are of the world. But the reason isn't because we don't want to show Jesus up as being naive. That's not the reason. No, we don't do that because the worldview that Jesus represents is utterly intellectually satisfying. It's thoroughly rigorous and it has a depth and profundity to it that is unequaled anywhere else. And to look for such intellectual satisfaction elsewhere is a a, a stain on the name of Jesus But as well as that, not as important as that, but as well as that, we are selling ourselves massively short when we do that. Think actually a bit broader. Think of Paul's example in all this, the Apostle Paul. Paul was a super clever guy. I mean, whatever class you put Paul in, from the time he was little, he would have been top of that class. He served under the the best rabbis of his day, okay? He was a brilliant mind. But as we know, unfortunately, he became a Christian and all his academic potential was wasted as he went around churches smiling sweetly and speaking cliches. (laughs) That's not what happened, okay? That's not what happened. It's the opposite of what happened. Paul, however bright he was before he became a Christian, we don't have one trace of anything that man wrote at that time. This guy was brilliant, In fact, if he'd never become a Christian, nobody, probably within a decade of his life, would ever have bothered reading anything he wrote ever again. But when Paul came to Jesus, when he became a Christian, when he was placed in Christ, he was brought to life in so many ways, including intellectually. 
And now he's known as one of the most influential thinkers in the whole history of humanity. Why? Because walking in Jesus does not make you dumber. If it does make you dumber, you are probably not walking in Jesus. No, it brings your mind to life. Think of others in history. St. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, C.S. Lewis. Almost certain that you'll have heard of one of those guys. If you've not heard of one, try two. Augustine, Aquinas, great minds, great people. Okay? Those guys were not brainy despite their faith in Jesus. That's what the world will communicate to you. Oh, they're very brainy to shame about the fact they were locked into this archaic belief system. No, before they were filled in Jesus, they were just some guys with some interesting but not entirely original thoughts. No one cared about them. But they found just what Paul tells us in Colossians. In Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you believe it? Jesus is all-sufficient for us in terms of happiness and fulfillment. He is also all-sufficient for us in terms of our intellectual lives. And this does not mean that we should never read any non-Christian books or study any thinkers who aren't Christians or watch any non-Christian films. No, once we've set our hearts on Jesus as the one who can intellectually satisfy us the best, we are then free to draw liberally from the best this world has to offer. Got to be careful. Obviously, there's a care, and some bits are going to be, I'm not going that one. But on the whole, we're completely free. The message that's been given to church for years, no, danger, danger, fear, fear. It's just not right. It's not what Paul would have spoken of as the gospel. It's not what we see through, through the people in the Old Testament who rose to position, who soaked up the Babylonian culture. Daniel says he was soaked in the Babylonian culture. They trained him. What happened with it? Oh, dear. Poor Daniel. He'll go under because of this poor little Christianity or or the message of Judaism, that God, oh no, what happened? No, obviously, he took the best of it, and he said, no, I'm not doing what you say. I trust the God of Israel. Turn the whole thing upside down. That's what we see from beginning to end. Now, we're free to enjoy the world's art, to listen from its geniuses, not because we're looking for them to satisfy us, but because our minds are already satisfied in Jesus, and so we have nothing to fear from those things. But actually, we can know God's grace even through them as we take the good and remove the bad. So Jesus, we chase after Jesus in our search for wisdom. Final point is, as we seek to become more holy, as we seek to live good and right lives to please God, we do that through Jesus. It's got to be said, the search for happiness is good. search for wisdom is good. This is the top one. This is a Good, 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 thoroughly good thing to want and to pursue. And uh, to the Colossians' credit, this was their key motivation. This seems to be what they wanted the most. And it was also the thing that the false teachers seemed to major on most. It seems that they went for this one uh, first and foremost. But again, they didn't see the end of the pursuit as in Jesus alone, but in Jesus plus this and plus this. And that's where we have the problem. Now, just said before, unlikely you're tempted to worship angels and beat yourself up, okay, literally. Um, But there are a whole host of other things that masquerade as good Christian things. And uh, perhaps they are good on their own, but actually they do exactly the same thing. Um, I think this is the most fitting application with this uh, particular passage we're looking at as well. It's got to be said that Christianity in a consumerist culture like ours has proved itself very, very effective at taking on the spirit of the age that we live in. And... uh, If you feel a bit unsettled in your Christian life, you know what? There'll be a thousand paperbacks for you and probably even more blogs 
nowadays uh, with some top tips of how to fix it. If you do this, this, and this, over your cup of tea, everything's sorted. Okay, that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not only that, if your church is stuck, we'll do this, this, and this, and revival will come. Probably swiftly followed by the second coming of Jesus, you know? There's loads of stuff like that out there. I don't know if you've pop, popped up with that. I mean, I, while I, this has been on my radar for some time, I guess, but not for a massive amount of time, I've seen all sorts of things in church life. Now, I'll list a few out. Some of you think, what the heck's that? Some of you go, oh, yeah, I remember that. Some of you think, actually, what do you mean I remember that? That is the key to revival. Okay, speak to you in a minute. Okay, <laughs> but, the, but the, uh, these are things. These are things I remember. Strategic level spiritual warfare. Anyone come across that? Okay, Andy has, that's good. Um, the prayer of Jabez, big tent evangelism, friendship evangelism, alpha evangelism, apologetics evangelism, cell church, emerging church, church planting, multi-site church. Yeah, that's in my notes, multi-site church. An emphasis on prayer for healing, an emphasis on personal holiness, an emphasis on social action, an emphasis on cultural engagement. All of those things, no, no, I'll repeat that, I'll go back on that. Most of those things are fine in themselves, are good in themselves. But the way they're presented has often not been very good at all. And even when they have been presented, well, the way we've heard them, I know the way I've heard them, has not been very good at all. Because often those things are presented as the absolute key to breakthrough in your spiritual life. The things the church has been missing all this time because of its apostasy. It's a bit like this. This is a presentation of, of, of how it is. And I think this image could be used constructively, actually, but I think... In another way, it's not very helpful at all. It's as if God's up in heaven and he's got all his blessings and his love here. It's all around him and he wants to pour them out. We're going for the strobe effect. That's good. Put the music on. Uh, He wants to pour out his love and his blessing on the world and he's desperate to do it, but he just can't. Just can't do it. And it takes us. We have to do X to burst the dam. And he's looking. And if you can do X, Y and Z, bing, 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 Blessing and love comes flowing. That's how it's often presented. Well, the false teachers in Colossae were doing exactly the same as that. It's just they had slightly different fads in their days. They were quite into an obsession with angels and extreme self-denial. Those were trending on the Christian Twitter sphere in 50 AD. They were the key topics at Christian conferences. They were the best-selling paperbacks. Paul was not okay with that. I'll go further than that. Paul thought it was all right, he thought it was worth, while in prison, writing a letter specifically to stop that. Epaphras, who was at Colossae, left his church behind to travel, probably on foot, all the way to Rome to find Paul in prison, who he didn't even know whether he'd actually be there, to get some help on that, on that sort of thing. That's his main concern. Just again, just to say once again, I need to make sure the balance is here. There is nothing wrong with focusing on some aspects of the Bible's teaching for a time. And it is true that the church can often sideline important biblical emphases and need a bit of connecting on this. That's true. But if we're putting our hope in Christian fads to revolutionize our Christian lives, either individually or corporately, Paul would have some incredibly strong words for us. You see, there was a time when all God's blessing and love was up in heaven with him, with his arms around it, and he looked down and he loved the world and he longed to pour it out. And we didn't do X, Y, and Z. Do you know what the only thing that we did in that situation? I heard it over here, actually. What did we do? Sin. We sinned. 
There's not many com- Christian conferences or paperbacks at the moment go, the key to revival, sin. <laughs> I'm glad of that, by the way. That's good. But actually, when the dam broke, that's the only thing we offered. How did it break? Jesus came. Jesus, him we proclaim. In him you were circumcised. He is the image of the invisible God. Do you see what Paul's on about here? Do you see what he's trying to say? He made peace by the blood of his cross. He made a way for God's love and blessing to be fully poured out on the human race. And we have been filled in him. And if your walk with Jesus has got a bit stale and dull, you don't need to look for another way of jazzing it up. You need to fall back on Jesus. If, you're, if our church plateaus and loses momentum, we don't need to desperately hunt for the latest church growth fad. We need to fall back on Jesus. So this next sentence is very guardedly, but the only thing I would add to that, and I'm, the word add is the guarded thing, but you'll see where I'm going in a minute, is we should also be patient. We fall back on Jesus and we should be patient. Paul puts it like this, Colossians 1.11 heartfelt prayer for these guys says may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might i think in that verse you think yeah power the power of god that's what christianity is about it's fireworks in the sky every day it's every moment miracles and that that's what god wants for me unfortunately obviously the church has messed things up so i can't do that but anyway the firework life that's what we want is that what paul thought the power of god was for no Colossians 1.11, may you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance, don't like that idea, <laughs> for all endurance and patience with joy. Jesus never promised we'd get everything immediately. He never told us following him would lead to instant results and a steady stream of fireworks moments. I actually can't think at the moment of a better way of describing the healthy Christian life than that verse. What's being a Christian? enduring patiently with joy that's what it is and that's what trusting jesus is the foundation of your happiness wisdom and holiness and what looks like it's not trusting him for five minutes and then panicking or getting bored and saying and what should i supplement jesus with is it do i need to find some demons here and pray in the right way and do i have to do that no that's not trusting jesus because when we do that we're going to get the opposite outcome to what we're hoping for because if we stop holding fast to the head We stop growing. That's what Paul says. But if we fall back on Jesus in faith and patiently, we'll find that it's from Jesus, verse 19, the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. You want wisdom? You want happiness? You want to grow in your relationship with God? I've got one word for you. Jesus. Jesus plus nothing. So let's finish. Let's hear the Apostle Paul's warnings to us today. I don't think I can give you these warnings as strongly as Paul or Epaphras would. I I can't travel, I suppose I could, but I'm not going to, travel halfway across the known world on foot to a prison in Rome because some guy might be there who can help. I can't be shivering in prison and think, the thing I need to do now is pull out my quill and write this letter and please send it to him. I can't do that. But I want you to hear it with that sort of force because that's how important Paul thought thought this stuff was. We are set upon by the same kind of voices as the Colossian church. And they might sound a bit different, but they are the same voices. And they say, Jesus isn't enough. You'll be happy. You'll only be happy if X. You could be wise if you find wisdom out there. You can grow in God if you do this, this, and this. And God has said to you today, no, reject it. 
This isn't, as you may have noticed, a particularly practical sermon in many ways. But this is very, very important. We make a decision. We draw a line in the sand and we say, it's Jesus. Some of you might have never drawn that line. You might have never said, I'm going to base it all in him. I'd encourage you to do that today. If you don't know enough about Jesus yet to be able to make that decision, please look into to here. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Come to our meetings. Look for Jesus in our lives, in our songs, in these talks. Get to know him because, you know, we, we stumble along a little bit with this stuff. Oh, I can't say I'll base my life perfectly on Jesus. But you know what? I've drawn a line in the sand and said, but I'm, every time I go astray, I'm going back to the head. I'm not going to add on silly little things. I'm going back there. If you're a Christian, I'd encourage you, I'd urge you to do exactly the same. In the Colossians series, the tree, I think, can we have the tree up? I think it's the next picture. That is the book of Colossians, that tree, and we've now finished the roots. So those of you who are really application-minded, where's the practical application? What should I do? Believe me, you're going to get quite a bit of that the next few weeks. But the roots we've done, what are the roots that grow in to the tree? The roots are Jesus. (laughs) That's Paul's point root yourself be rooted and established in him 